Hey, just a heads up that the following content may be disturbing or triggering for some listeners and is not appropriate for children. Please take care of yourself and others who may be listening with you. Welcome to the Bonus Babies Podcast, a show that has no easy answers, only hard questions. 14, I don't even know what I was dreaming. I was just trying to figure out where, what I was going to eat or like where my next meal was going to come from. Like I, 14, that was a rough time for me. But I always had like the school stuff. Like even when I was like getting in trouble at school or like they used to be trying to uh, like suspend me, they never could kick me out because I always had good grades. I always had a good GPA. School was literally the only thing that they couldn't take from me. Like I feel like out of all the stuff that I had in my life, School was the one thing that I feel like I had like a little bit of control over because if I don't show up, I get the bad grades. If I don't do the homework, I don't graduate. If, even though I feel like some obstacles and blocks were put in place to almost get me to not graduate and go to college, I like hurdled over those. And I'm very, very, very proud of those accomplishments because I feel like without my school and without my education, I don't know what, what I would have been able to do. Like graduating high school and coming straight off of 18, I emancipated literally six days after my 18th birthday. Can you tell me what you call the kids who you've cared for over the years? We feel that the children that we receive coming into our home are bonuses. So we call them bonus babies. I love that. This is your host, Jane Amelia Larson, and I'm Akasa, a court-appointed special advocate volunteer for youth in foster care. Yeah, I know, it's a mouthful. In the same way ACASA works, I explore all things in the foster care maze by talking to kids, parents, caregivers, attorneys, social workers, therapists, really anybody and everybody who will speak to me to keep the conversation open and the information flowing about all things CASA. Hi, this is Jake Eberly, the producer of the Bonus Babies podcast. And today, Jane Amelia speaks with Raquel Wilson a former foster youth and now advocate from Compton, California. Raquel is the program manager for the Fostering Media Connections Youth Voice Program and has been an advocate for youth negatively affected by the foster care system, juvenile justice system, homelessness, or simply coined at risk, and has dedicated over 10 years to empowering youth and helping them develop both personally and professionally. Okay, so I know you're from Compton, but can you tell me a little bit about who you are and how you're raised and all that? So I was born in August 1990. Um, I have three brothers and three sisters. I'm the second Otis of the troop. Um, I went into foster care when I was about five years old. I stayed until I was eight due to my being removed from my home because my mom and dad was physically abusive to me and my brothers and sisters. I bounced around a lot when I was in foster care. The first time I went to care, um, I was there for three years. I probably lived at like seven, maybe eight different placements during that time. Seven different placements. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, in total, I've probably lived in about 33 different homes, uh, facilities, um, wow. homes, all included my life. Wow, were any of them good? Um, I only had one good foster mom, um, one good foster parent, one good foster home that was good to me. And that was the second to last home that I lived in before I emancipated from the system. I see. All right. So, so, so let's go back because so the first time you were in care, it was from when you were five years old till eight. And then somehow you're the age eight. Right. And somehow your mom got you back. Did she like com complete all her courses and case plan or how did that work? Do you remember? 
you know? Yes. So um, my other brothers and sisters actually went back right before I did, probably maybe like three, six months before I did. And what the... I guess the thought was, well, what I was being told at the time was that I was being locked in the system. So basically the social worker was not trying to send me home, although all my brothers and sisters had sent, were sent home. But I ended up finding out the truth behind that um, later on down the line as I got older and actually like read my case file. Unfortunately, um, we were removed because of my parents being physically abusive to us. My mom and my dad had to complete different steps, different courses, parenting classes and things to be able to get us back. And my brothers and sisters actually ended up going back home before I did. And then I ended up being okay, I guess, to go back home once my mom realized that she wanted me and didn't want me to be in the system anymore. At that time, because then you en- you ended up in the system again when you were 14. Yes. You were at school and they saw marks on you? Is that what happened? Um, no. So 14, um, actually, um, I went to school. It's a crazy day. I went to school. Um, me and my older brother ended up uh, having an argument and my mom ended up jumping into that argument. And both her and my brother... Um, they basically jumped me. Like they, they attacked me. They jumped me. And I just kind of was over it at that time. So I ended up taking myself to the police station the next morning. Wow. And I told them that I wanted to go and be in foster care. Wow. And I never went back. And you never yeah. went back. Um, you said something on the seminar the other day, though. You said something like the beatings that you got at home were actually better than the beatings you had in foster care. That's not the quite way you said it, but I remember being shocked when I heard it because you were you were really, really badly treated in foster care too. Yes. Like worse than what it was when I lived at my house. Right. But still both situations were still harmful. So the quote that I had said on at the webinar that I hosted the other day was that which um, was fantastic by the way. It was so good. Thank you. It was really, really good. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I said that I would have experienced enduring more whoopings in my actual biological home than I would have in foster care had I known now. Being in foster care, even from like the age of five to eight during that time, um, I was physically abused, actually was sexually assaulted. My first sexual experience, I was taught by one of my former foster moms, foster daughters, my like first sexual experiences came from a woman. So just like, you know, I know we we shed light on like the abuse that takes place to young girls that are in the system at the hands of men, but there are also women predators out in the world too. And that was something that I experienced. From that though, I just started telling. And what I realized is, and when something bad happens, what they do is they'll tell you like, ain't nobody going to believe you. Nobody's going to say, nobody's going to believe nothing that you say, which becomes like a psychological thing in your mind. You start, you know, really thinking like people are not going to believe you, you know? So what I realized is, is that, you know, once you start saying, Hey, this is happening to me, they don't really do nothing. They just AWOL you and put you in a different placement um, where, you know, it's a chance that certain things can still take place. Um, In terms of my abuse, I've been, withheld food. I've lived in placements where locks been on the doors um, in the cabinets. I lived in group homes where they locked up the food. Places where we didn't get anything for Christmas, but their biological kids did. And I, I, I feel like that that's a form of emotional abuse. You know, watching other youth get birthday presents and Christmas presents, 
knowing that your foster parents, and at that time, I didn't know my foster parents were getting money from me. I didn't find out about that until I was 16. So imagine coming to terms with the fact that, you know, you had all of these Christmas and these birthdays that you didn't get no gifts, but you watched like the biological uh, siblings that lived in the home open up different presents and different Christmas gifts and enjoy the holidays with their family. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty traumatic. So I consider that to be a course of emotional abuse that I went through too while being in the system. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's a, that's a horrible thing to go through. Yeah. Especially because those people uh, were, were being paid to take care of you and they were not taking care of you at all. Not, not in the least bit. <laughs> You said something too. You said that you felt that your mom blamed you, uh, that that she took things out on you, right? Because you had a different dad. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yes. What, what, what was that? You think? So the dynamic of that is: so I have an older brother, and then I have um, five younger siblings. There's seven of us in total. Um, they conceived my older brother, and then my dad went to jail. And then when he went to jail, my real father and my mom connected. And they conceived me. Um, and then when I, my mom was probably like six months, my dad ended up getting out of jail, my my, my brother's dad. Um, and he ended up just taking over. Like, you know, my biological father didn't want anything to do with me at that time. Like, he had just got paralyzed and shot from the neck down. So it was kind of like, you know, he was angry with the world. And so he was like taking out on my mom. And so my mom ended up being a single mom. Not to mention that my mom was 15 when she was pregnant with me and my real dad was is like seven years older than her. And so, you know, it's all of that different, you know, stuff that goes into that too, which is, I could be kind of understanding to my mom about. Um, but then, so basically my sisters, my sisters and my brother's dad raised me, you know, all my life. He's on my birth certificate. He was there when I was born. He cut my umbilical cord. So that's the person that I knew. I didn't know that I had a different dad from my business until I was like three or four, um, just like a little bit before we went to foster care, actually. Um, and so with that dynamic, I kind of feel like that my mom blamed me. And it is important to note that my mom was in a domestic violence relationship with my, my dad at the time. It was definitely physically abusive, too, and which was also being passed down to the children. And so I want to be understanding to my mom, and I can look at it from her perspective in a little bit and kind of be understanding to her because I do understand that she was also being abused, too. And I can imagine that trauma that she was experiencing, you know, having to feel unsafe because you have a different child waking up every day with somebody that you love and they like guilt tripping you and they see your other kid. You noticing that the whooping's a little bit more stronger, you know what I'm saying? Because it's not your kid. Um, and I kind of felt like that in as I start getting older and start being a little bit more rebellious and speaking up about the things that I didn't like, my mom saw the things in me about being outspoken, saying how you feel, you know, being able to communicate your feelings. I felt like that she kind of envied me because of that. And so when my dad used to like jump on my mom, she'd like create an argument with me so she could fight me. She'd be having a bad day. And she'll try to like pick an argument with me. I ignore her. I'll go in the room. I'll be like talking to myself. She'll be like standing outside the door, listening, waiting so that she can hear whatever I say and then come in the room and try to fight me because she doesn't like what I'm saying. That's kind of been like our dynamic all my life. Even me as an adult, me and my mom, our relationship isn't good. And it's not going to be good until she literally becomes accountable for 
some of the things and the decisions that she made. And not to say like, you know, intentionally she just had children that was like, oh, my children are going to go to foster care. Oh, sometimes I'm going to make a mistake and not be a good parent. But it's the fact that like in her mind, she doesn't even put the thought process together and connect the dots between all of her children and realize that there's some dysfunction between all of us and some trauma. And because of those um, experiences that we had growing up in the household where we were yelled at, where we abused, where we were slaves, basically forced to babysit. I'm the oldest, so I'm taking care of kids. And then that's not to even like bad mouth my mom because my mom is not like a bad mom. Like she worked, always had two jobs, always took care of her kids. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like she was like out in the streets. She never did drugs. She wasn't like selling drugs. She wasn't involved in like drug activity and none of that stuff. You know, she just really was in a relationship and she had children with somebody that came from generational history of physically abusing your kids. Yeah, and that's something that, like, even me as a parent now, I had to unlearn so that I don't bring that generational trauma into me and my daughter's relationship. That's right. You're a single mom. You have a little girl, right? Yes. Yeah. And and, yes. and you said something like, she's your joy, right? She's just yeah, your, yeah. baby. I love her so much. She's, like, literally the best thing that ever happened to me. And I waited a long time to have a kid because I didn't want to have a kid. Just being scared, feeling like, you know, if I have a kid, people are going to try to come take my baby because I was in the system. Because that happens. You know, they try to, this, yeah. the foster system will follow you, Yep. you know, well into motherhood, you know, just to make sure that you you sneeze wrong. They're like, oh, you know, I'm fit mom. Let me take your baby. It's a, it's a cycle. I was scared. Even now with my daughter, I speak about being scared to take my daughter to the hospital when she first was born because I didn't want them to be like, oh, you're not giving your daughter shots or you're not doing this. Let's take her. You were in foster care. Like, you know, once they found out you're in foster care, they just automatically assume place you in this box. And so waited until I finished school, graduated, you know, got my two degrees. Um, wait, wait, you, have... wait, wait, wait a minute. You got a lot of degrees. You got a lot of degrees. Yeah. So so let, let, let's hear about that because that's pretty astounding, right? Yes. So I have um, a bachelor's from Fresno State University. I'm in pre-law philosophy and I minored in criminology. Um, and then I have two master degrees from um, Concordia Chicago University. One is in grant writing and um, business management and the other one is an MBA in nonprofit management. Wow. Did you did did you ever dream when you were when you were 14 that you were going to grow up to be such an, an accomplished young woman? Well, I mean, I feel like that 14, I don't even know what I was dreaming. I was just trying to figure out where what I was going to eat or like where my next meal was going to come from. Like I, 14, that was a rough time for me. But I always had like the school stuff. Like even when I was like getting in trouble at school or like they used to be trying to uh, like suspend me, they never could kick me out because I always had good grades. I always had a good GPA. School was literally the only thing that they couldn't take from me. Like, I feel like out of all the stuff that I had in my life, school was the one thing that I feel like I had like a little bit of control over. Because if I don't show up, I get the bad grades. If I don't do the homework, I don't graduate. If, even though I feel like some obstacles and blocks were put in place to almost get me to not graduate and go to college. I like hurdled over those. And I'm very, very, very proud of those accomplishments because I feel like without my school and without my education, I don't know what, what I would have been able to do. Like graduating high school and coming straight off of 18, I emancipated literally six days after my 18th birthday. Yeah. Um, how did you do that? How, how did that work? Because a lot of people, they don't know that that's possible. So what, what does that mean? Right. 
Yeah. So emancipating is basically when you go to the court and the court deems you a ward of yourself. <laughs> a ward basically, of yourself, in, right. <laughs> yeah, a ward of yourself, um, in a sense. So I spent a lot of time being the ward of the court. And so once they saw, um, and they actually tried to keep me in extended foster care, um, but um, at that time, the AB12 was getting ready to happen, mm-hmm. and they were, like, working out the transitional housing. Like, they were putting pe- foster youth in the apartments and stuff, but I just kind of felt like that that was still going to be, like, a sense of being in the system, and I was so over being in the system, a system of negativeness, that I needed to go be in the system of positiveness. So I remember I went, and the judge asked me, like, why did I feel like that I deserved to be emancipated? And I just kind of really laid it out to him. Like, I feel like I did all the things that I needed to accomplish. I graduated high school. I didn't have no children. I was getting ready to go to college. And I just kind of needed one person to just give me that. Because I already felt like I was grown. I I hadn't had nobody take care of me, even though I was in foster care. I worked from the age of 14 all the way up until now. Like, I've had a job. My foster parents wasn't giving me money. I didn't even know that I got money, that our foster parents made money until I was 16. My 11th grade year is when I found out, when I seen the check and my name was on it. And I was like, why? What is this? And I started connecting the dots. I didn't even know. So... You know, to to work and have to really take care of yourself and go through this system where it's like, you know, you like really struggling and to get through all of those trials and tribulations. I had just experienced my senior year was just really crazy. I had almost had to switch schools. I was living in a foster home. One of my foster parents, um, my foster parent fiance at the time, he tried to sexually assault me. So I had to move placements in the middle of my senior years. You know, they almost tried to make me move high schools. I like had to like fight for to stay at the school that I was at. And it was just a really, a really a lot. So to get to a space um, in front of this judge where they're like, what have you done to deserve this? It's like, what have y'all done to deserve to keep me locked down in the system? I literally have keep fighting. And every time y'all throw something at me, I'm keep building and fighting, you know? And so emancipate me and whatever happens is going to happen. And I wish I remember what judge I had, but I remember him telling me that, you know, is either I'm going to be a success or I'm going to be a failure. So, you know, I got the option to choose what it is that I'm going to do. Because, you know, me emancipating and me going to college, that means I have nothing to come back to. You go to college, some people, it don't work out for them, you know, so they they can go back home to their parents' house. Like, I literally had nothing, nowhere, nobody to go home to. So it's like, you go to Fresno, that's where you live. That's where you're going to have shelter. You're going to finally have somewhere to stay. You're going to finally have somewhere to eat that's consistent. You got a refrigerator where you can actually put food in. You don't have to worry about nobody stealing it. You don't have to worry about nobody coming into your room and stealing your clothes. You're no longer living out of black trash bag. You got actually got suitcases now, you know? Like, I didn't even get my first suitcase until I was in college. I lived out of trash bag my whole entire life. Like literally the hefty trash bags travel with me everywhere. And every, every placement you go to, somebody takes something from you. Somebody steals something from you. You leave a little something behind. You might lose something. My degrees, me being in school, my education, that was like the one thing that I had that people can, nobody could take from me. It's like, no matter what, y'all can't deny that I'm like a force to be reckoned with when it comes to like schooling and reading and trying to like, you know, develop myself on that level. So. A force to be reckoned with, really, a force to be reckoned with. That is just so true. So now, as you look back on on your childhood, how do how do you feel about it? How do you feel about what you what you went through? 
um, I, I kind of feel like I'm still a work in progress. I'm still healing, unlearning behaviors that I learned, you know, having to survive, having to learn how to protect myself at a young age, having to learn how to get the necessities and the things that I needed to be able to, you know, live and having my daughter really opened my eyes because I didn't even realize how much I was surviving until I had my daughter and didn't even realize how much of that stuff that I needed, I had inside of my soul that I needed to unpack and start speaking out loudly about, you know, sharing my experiences, um, you know, until I started connecting with my kid and realizing that I didn't want her and I to have the same relationship that my mom and me have, you know, and that my mom and her mom had, my granny had. And so, you know, it just really made me be more self-aware of like myself, the trauma that I still have to heal from and just be thankful that I like made it out. Like <laughs> a lot of people wouldn't have made it through some of the things that I've been through while in the system, like, you know, having to survive some scary nights, you know what I'm saying? Sleeping with one eye open, all that, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. I, I really got like a lot of scars. Like, you know, it makes me emotional because I, I, I know I'm not healed from it, but I know I'm strong. Um, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the things that I experienced because um, who 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 else? You know, what I'm saying God, God ordained. Who else destined to be able to have like the type of energy that I have and personality and openness that I have to speak out about my experiences to help empower and inspire other people to talk about their experiences and the things that they've been through to try to make the system a little bit better for not just like foster youth but for the youth that are coming into the system well after us. Right, and you are a powerful advocate, a really, really powerful advocate. So tell me about that. Is that something that because of your your education, your background, you have actually, first there's Real to Real, right? And there's also the nonprofit you founded. So talk to me about those things because it's super inspiring. Yes, so... Um, shout out to Miss Stewart, who is the founder of Better Youth and the Real to Real program. Miss um, Stewart has known me since I was 16. She actually met me at Jordan High School. And she just basically kind of took me under her wing and got me doing community service at a young age. I was doing community service, volunteering. Um, and I kind of never really kind of knew what I wanted to do. Um, in terms of like where I was going to go, um, I actually went to school to be a lawyer for foster youth and actually like be that good lawyer support that I feel like I didn't have when I was in foster care. And somehow after I graduated, like my life kind of just switched and changed. With Miss Stewart always having me doing community service, having me like really out speaking, talking to people, literally like advocating for myself, speaking up for myself, that helped me want to inspire and empower um, other folks. So working with the Better Youth Organization and the Real Real program definitely helped set the tone for, you know, me and my aspiration of wanting to go out into the community and actually work and be more hands-on with foster youth. And with my nonprofit that I founded, the Empower Her Project, that was dedicated to helping minority women of color that are in business get into one room and share ideas and share, um, you know, secrets, but then also pass that down, plant those seeds for the young youth. So I used to have foster youth girls, um, you know, who want to be business owners come to this brunch that I used to host every year. And we, we give out awards and we basically empower and it's a room full of women and they get to see women being women and loving on each other and supporting one another. And that's what it's supposed to be about. That helped me get this job, this lovely job that I just love so much here at Foster Media Connections, where I actually came on to be an editor to help edit youth voice pieces. But when I met Daniel, who um, was the CEO and founder at the time, 
he was just, I guess, astonished by my experience and me being a former foster youth. He told me about this youth voice program that they had since 2016 and how um, they just kind of needed one person to just be the face of it and just like really take it to the next level. And once he gave me those shoes to fill, I'd just been running ever since. And um, I really love fostering media connections. Um, I used to sit in the, those foster homes and I remember I used to be crying and I struggled with like religion at a point. Like I didn't believe in God because I, I didn't understand why God was letting these bad things happen to me. And I was trying to be a good person and I was a kid and I didn't deserve it. And I just wanted to have fun and go outside and play on the skateboard and and, and hula hoop and jump rope. But I had to get a job. I had to work because I didn't have no shoes. You know, I had to have money so I can go across the street during my lunch break when I was in high school so I could wash my clothes. I had to figure out ways to live and I used to always just be like, God, why? Why me? Why did this happen? Why Why is this happening to me? And I feel like in this role that I am um, in at Foster Media Connections, leading this youth voice program um, that has those things, those experiences, those firsthand account stories that I can tell and be able to share, um, inspire other foster youth, those things that I went through, that, that's the reason why I'm here now. It's unfortunate that I had to go through those things. It's unfortunate that we all have to go through things, you know, to be able to go through such crazy experiences that I had at a young age and still kind of survive and be able to make it out on top. And then not only make it out on top, but still be able to reach back down and grab people up and bring them back up here with me and say, hey, you can do it. And I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it together and just keep building that network and making those connections. Um, I really love my job. I really do. I, I really love my job. I can tell. <laughs> the, the next best thing that happened to me, like it's, it's fulfilling. And I, I don't, I wake up and I'm happy to go to work, you know, and that's the blessing that I have. Because mm. um, some people are not happy to go no, to work. No, a they're, lot of they're people. They're not found what they yeah what they do. And I'm happy. Um, and I get so much joy and fulfillment, um, you know, with our writers and the fact that they believe in me, you know, because for so long I didn't have anybody to believe in. Um, and then that one person came along and, and it just changed my life. You know, they, they grabbed me, they hugged me. They let me know they wasn't going nowhere, that they wasn't going to ban me, that, that they wasn't going to let me go, that they was going to keep supporting me regardless if I made mistakes, regardless of my flaws. And now I get to do the same thing in return and I get to return those same support and return that same hugs and it's so fulfilling. Right. And so who was that person? Yes. Miss Stewart. Miss Sydney yeah, okay. Stewart. Okay. All right. That was Miss Stewart. Yeah. She's really impacted a lot of people's lives. She's a really special person. And I can see how you could aspire to be her. I mean, I kind of aspire to be her. She like changes lives on a, on a daily yeah. basis, right? And it's crazy just knowing like the growth and like where Miss Stewart started and like what her intentions was and everything that transpired and unfolded and what it became. I know that it's more than what she imagined. You know, I'm just hoping that I'm making her proud and I'm thankful for Better Youth. I'm thankful for Miss Stewart um, for giving me the blueprint, I guess, the footsteps to be able to, you know, to do what I'm doing now, but to do it proudly and confidently, but also in a humble way too as well. Right. So you also like to perform as well. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Because you, you're a performance artist. Yes. Well, I write poetry. I indulge in poetry. I um, haven't wrote in a long time and I actually want to get back into it. But I love writing poetry. I've, I wrote 
literally poetry since I went to foster care. That's how I used to release um, some of the things that I had like inside of me, I guess. Um, and I used to just write about my different experiences. I literally have poems from when I was like six, seven still. Um, some of the ink smudged, some of the, the pencil markings is missing, but I still have like a good inventory of my poems um, that I wrote when I was in foster care up until now. And once I finished working on this book that I'm working on, I'm going to tell those different stories and actually put those poems in the story. So you'll like read a poem and then be able to connect that poem to the experience. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're working on a book too? Yeah, I I, I, I have been working on a book since 2008, <laughs> since I graduated from high school. Honestly, I can't even say I'm working on a book. It might be like three books in one right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. that um, but right now, what I'm thinking is, is that I'm just typing and typing and typing until I feel like that I've told all the stories that I want to tell, that I've matched it up with the different poems that I want to use. Um, and oh, my baby's outside the door. I'm sorry. No, no, so, um, oh, that's fine. She can come in and say hi. <laughs> she can come in. Okay. That's let me, fine. Let me grab. Yeah. Okay. You want to be a part of mommy work? Want to say hi? Yeah. Want to say hi? Say hi. hi. <laughs> can, oh, she's waving. You waving? She, you just got to wave right there. There you go. Can you see me? Hi. Hi. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's lovely. Um, do you do you happen to have any of your, your poems nearby? Do you have anything handy? Um. Yeah, actually. <laughs> I always got a poem handy. <laughs> Yeah. All my poems, I have them out on my phone. Yeah, uh, read something for me. Oh, actually, I could just like perform something that I just know off the top of my head. Sure, that too. That too. Yeah, yeah. That'll just make it easier instead of reading. And so this piece is kind of long, but I'll just do like a little snippet of it. Um, but really, it's uh, me telling a story about um, not liking my skin color. Um, and at one point in, in my life... Ooh, you okay, mommy? At one point in my childhood, I really couldn't connect the dots to why my mom hated me or why I felt like my mom hated me. And so I felt like, I don't know, somewhere in my mind, I just had felt that she had hated me because I was dark skinned. And I don't know, but I lived with that for like a very long time. And then like at the age of seven, I had confronted my mom and I had asked her about it. Like, why do you hate me so much? It's because I'm dark skinned. And she's like, what? I'm the same color as you, girl. Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, but that was like an experience that I actually had. And I had a conversation with her about it when I was like seven. And, you know, she just kind of explained to me that that wasn't it. But she kind of really still never told me what it was. And so I still was kind of left with assumptions. But, um, okay. I remember when I used to think my mama didn't love me because I was ugly. This is a true story. I used to think I wasn't good enough. Like maybe I was too dark skinned. Maybe I was too black as fuck. Maybe I was uh, pretty, but not pretty enough to date. This is a true story. I remember I used to think my mama used to hate, hate me because I was dark skinned. I remember I cried to her in the seventh grade. Like it's because I'm ugly. I'm almost sure she loved me so much. She left me in foster care. No wonder why I grew up so insecure. And the uh, boys, they liked me, but they wasn't sure. They was too embarrassed to date a dark skinned girl. Like you pretty for a dark skinned girl. I'm thinking, like what does that mean smooth skin don't need no makeup plus that's not the only trick up my sleeve plus y'all heard the saying the darker the berry the sweeter the y'all read the memes but everything and everything everybody's hatred about me made me hate everything about me in between until I did some research and discovered what it means I love my afro my big nose I had to learn to love yourself whether you have nappy hair or you have a perm and if you miss this concept of this message you should be concerned 
And then it's just like a nice whole little piece about me having a conversation with one of my friends who was also in foster care. And um, she talked to me about the abuse that she faced from older dark-skinned women, like her dark-skinned foster parents and her dark-skinned mom friends. And she's a light-skinned young lady, and um, she was expressing to me how she kind of felt the same way that I did, even though we kind of had two different experiences. Yeah, like the flip side of it. Yeah, the flip side of it, right. Right. What's the name of that? What's the name of that piece? Um, The Skin I'm In. The Skin I'm In. Wow. The Skin I'm In. Wow. Yes. It's beautiful. Re- really beautiful. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I'll send you a... Um, I'll, I'll email you a, um, the full thing. The yeah. Full so I, I would love that because I'll post it for sure. And... So uh, I want to ask you um, one thing I ask all my guests, and that is... What is the one thing that no one would ever know about you unless you told them? <sighs> Nobody would never know that I'm a victim of abuse. Nobody would never know that I have a lot of wounds that, you know, I haven't been healed. I walk around with a huge smile on my face. I, I, I try to, you know, do things from love and with zest and a smile. Um, and I try to move appropriately with good energy and, you know, in return, I would get good karma. I, I, I have a, a really, really good character trait. And I guess that is also my character flaw um, at hiding things, some of the things, my experiences, but never really hiding my true authentic self. And so, you know, I always showed up as me, as Raquel, but I never knew how powerful the abuse and those negative experiences, how how I could flip those into, you know, positive things that I could be able to use to bring me strength and then also give strength to other people. For so long, I felt like that was a part of me that made me ugly and made me hate myself, made me blame myself, made me feel guilty, made me, you know, want to kill myself, you know what I'm saying? Because I was put on, you know, this road and I, I talk about the road less travel and how they say you have these two roads and, you know, you you pick one. Um, but some of us don't get to decide the path that we are thrown on. Some of us are actually really thrown on the path and we have to figure it out right there where where they threw us at. And, you know, it's unfortunate that some of us don't, you know, survive the road and make it to the end, to the rainbow. Through my work, through my experiences, through the God divine, you know, circumstances that I had to go through. I'm very thankful and happy, you know, with the outcomes and what's happening, what's going to happen, because it's so much stuff. You know, I'm like literally just getting started. I feel like I'm in my prime still and it's just going to keep going up. And now I get to continue to try to bring other people with me, more foster youth, more more system impacted youth, more of those who've had homeless experience, more of those who've had juvenile justice experience, because those are all three different, um, you know, experiences but they kind of always kind of go hand in hand. So I'm just going to keep speaking up about things that I went through. And I'm so thankful for, you know, different platforms like the Bonus Baby podcast and, you know, like Youth Voice and Better Youth and these different organizations that really provide foster youth a platform to tell the raw truth, not the white picket fence, you know, the horse come, the prince come and sweep you up off your feet and you go live happily ever after. But the real truth, the trauma impacted truth, the the stuff that comes from after walking away from the system, the fact that you still be traumatized years later. I emancipated in 2008. I'm still impacted by the system right now, you know, at, and I'm getting ready to turn 32. I was 18 at the time. 
And so, you know, that was like half my, that's almost half my life. And I'm still trying to figure it out and trying to work through the trauma that I experienced. And so every it's, a, it's an everyday step. And if it's anybody out there that needs to vent or needs a mentor or just needs have a, a shoulder to cry on, please feel free to utilize me and to reach out to me because I am here. Um, and I understand genuinely it's not nothing that I don't think that I haven't been through that I can't touch light on. And if it's something I haven't been through, I'm sure I can find somebody that can, you know, be able to still give you some good sound advice and give you some, you know, mentorship. So it's so important what you're talking about, Raquel. It's really so admirable, so important. I, I really, I, I just thank you from the bottom of my heart because there's kids out there that need to hear that from someone like you. Really? No, thank you. I'm so happy that you reached out to me. Like, you know, this is really what it's all about. Um, what I found is it's hard to like partner sometimes and some people don't want to connect and like share their program participants and stuff. But if the ultimate goal is to make the system better, to help develop, to help build the awareness and the knowledge of the things that's happening so that we can make the system better inside and outside, then we all have to come together at some point in our life. You probably worked and already had, you know, a foster youth that I've already known on your podcast you know what I'm yeah. saying and it's just the connection connecting yep. the dots you know and so I just feel like that when once everybody genuinely comes together and wants to you know we'll be able to really do more with the numbers um but that's exactly right now and I'm just <laughs> that's exactly why I'm doing this that that's it. You just yes. said it exactly. Because if we if we create awareness, we come together, we can collectively make change faster, better, bigger. Like I said, I'm not no victim. And that's why I kind of really don't never really like I have a hard time revealing my wounds. Like somebody would have to ask me a question and then I'm an open book. I never really used to offer up information about what I was experiencing or what I have went through because, you know, honestly, I just really feel like people didn't care because nobody never cared before. You know what I'm saying? And truthfully, I kind of feel like that people use those things as a weapon. Everything always came with a price when I was in foster care. And at one point, I didn't even used to feel comfortable asking men to do things for me even if they genuinely wanted to help me out like do you want me to take you to school do you need something for this like I genuinely used to say no to all men because it's just like no I don't know like is you gonna want something in return for this because like that's literally like the psychological the trauma that I went through you know and so I went through those things so that I can be able to be here share my story with a smile so people see that I'm strong still, that I'm still standing. And even though I do have flaws and some days is better than others, in my mind made an awareness and, and become accountable, not only for my actions, but how I'm interacting with other folks around me. And I always use this quote, um, inspire to aspire before you expire. And, and I'll share that with everybody. Inspire to expire before you aspire. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Raquel, for sharing your story with us. And we love what you do, not just empowering women, but foster youth as a whole. And we want to give a shout out to fosteringmediaconnections.org, which uses media and journalism to lead the conversation about children and also publishes Fostering Family Today magazine, as well as the imprint Youth and Family News. Fostering Media Connections also offers a media training program for young people with lived experience in the foster care and youth justice systems. That's fosteringmediaconnections.org and imprintnews.org. Next week's guest, 
is Lisa Marie Arnett, who was in 36 placements from two years old until she aged out at the age of 18 and was then homeless for three years. Somehow, in spite of years of abuse of all kinds, she put herself through college, joined the military, and is now a helicopter mechanic with a beautiful young daughter and practices gentle parenting, which she herself never received. She now not only loves her job, but also her life. So join us next week for Lisa Marie Arnett. Thank you and be well. If you see something, say something. If you suspect a child's health or safety is jeopardized in any way by parents or anyone else, contact the Child Protective Services Agency in your county. 24-hour hotlines are staffed by trained social workers who will help you through the process and you can do so anonymously. In California, you can call the Child Protection Hotline at 800-540-4000. So if you see something, say something. You might be saving a child's life. If you want to know more about becoming a CASA anywhere in the country, go to nationalcasagal.org. And in L.A., casala.org. And if you want to know more about becoming a foster parent, check out the National Foster Parent Association at nfponline.org. There's also faithfosterfamilies.org and adoptuskids.org. There's tons of other information online as well, so you can just hunt around. We also want to thank the supremely talented Christina Apostolopoulos for her beautiful original music. You can find her music on Spotify or Instagram at Christina Aposto. And also thank you to Yukon Har for his engineering. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear and you find it as valuable as we do, please rate us and hit subscribe. You can also make a donation at bonusbabies.org. See you next time.